Hello and welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Johnson. Thank you for joining us. As always, we bring and exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. Today is a Real Life Stories episode with Stella Maynard. She has been on with us a couple of episodes just sharing her story, and it's a crazy story uh, about how she grew up in a home with a disabled father, uh, brokenness, lots of just crazy stuff. And it's always crazy about that because, Stella, when we look at you, we just think you're absolutely perfect, oh, as sure. at least everyone in church says, wow, she has got to be the most perfect put-together woman I know. But that's not the story, not is it? Not story. Not at all. <laughs> and we all have close. a story. So let's dive right back into it. We were kind of in a space where we were talking about now you're at a point in life where you have kids, but mm-hmm. your husband's absent. You're kind of in an abusive relationship. And it's crazy. So let's dive into it. Okay. Well, I think we were into the second relationship with um, the second husband. Um, I married him after we had a bought of the state beauty supply store in Nevada. I think that's where we were at last time. And so I'm going to start from there. And um, he got into a cycle of drinking again after having been sober for several years in AA. So um, he would have me lie for him and tell his customers that he had had a heart attack or something and that he was locked up in the a hospital that the doctors didn't want him to have any stress so they wouldn't allow visitors and so being the good wife you go out and you do tell those lies whether you want to or not or you feel good about yourself um so i i did that for him and uh eventually he did end up having some heart attacks but i it was um because he was doing some drugs with uh, another um guy that lived in nevada that I know about, and um, that guy has since died of an overdose, but um, he did drugs with him, and um, he had to have a heart surgery, and um, and on the way back from Kansas City, he asked me, why don't I just divorce him, and I said, don't tempt me, um, and just things were not good at all, and my, my son was in college, and my uh, middle daughter had run away from home, and my youngest um, got pregnant her junior year, and um, Dennis went to an attorney in town and tried to get some kind of grandparents' rights where he was going to force me to take my um, daughter's baby as soon as it was born, that she would not be allowed to keep it, that him and I were going to raise it. And at that I really lost all respect for him because if my mom had done that to me with my child, you know, I could not imagine the devastation that would be. And if she wanted to raise this baby, she had every right to do that. So what were were you most afraid of? Were you afraid of your kids like going to live the same lifestyle? What what were some of your fears at that time? It did seem like to me that they, they both Both of my girls had patterns like mine. You know, I ran away from home. I got pregnant, you know. Um, So each one of them had a little piece of me, and that makes me sad Hmm. because you wanted them to have the other parts you were trying to to cultivate, not where you came from. And my son, he was just very smart, and he was 
So the opposite of his dad, his dad had a high IQ, but he didn't use it for anything mm. except to con people. And, and my son was uh, determined. Well, he was going to become a lawyer, I think, was his first thing. And then um, he went for political science. And so he's a really good speaker. He sometimes wow. thinks that he isn't, but he's very good. <laughs> very good. Which is scary as parents because mm-hmm. no matter how much we want to or not want to be like our parents, there are pieces of them that we can't escape. It's true. It's true. Yep. Okay, so um, we got divorced and I bought the his part of the store. And so that I then own the state beauty supply store and which you still do um, to this day yes right? i do mm-hmm. it's still there and um i was going to codependent meetings and um danny was going to meetings there too and so um i knew some about him i knew he had a seizure disorder and um he was kind of helpful for me at the store. He came up to the store and he um, helped me move a classroom um, and he did some painting and things like that. And um, he needed glasses and I wanted to get him some glasses. So I took him over to the eye doctor and got him some glasses that he could see well out of. And we just started getting together and he moved in with me and we started going to the Presbyterian church in Nevada and we got got married shortly after that. Um, and in the meantime, Dennis passed away from his drug use. And he wow. okay. he, he had started staying at, I called it a flop house. I don't know for um, where they had shower curtains between um, mattresses on the floor. And they would go out there to get high and stuff and my daughter went out there my youngest one because that's the only dad she remembers she doesn't remember her real father Mm. so she would go out there and basically try to save him and she got really angry at me because I wouldn't help anymore but there was nothing me you couldn't do anything the only thing I could do was the last thing I did for him was I wrote out I I wrote out a check for the whole balance that I owed him because I was paying him payments and like it was a thousand one hundred sixty-five dollars or something a month. I was paying him to buy the business, and then so I just made him a lump sum thirty thousand dollar check, and um, and I told her if he would just cash that check and leave town, get away from those people, try to start over somewhere, that would be his best bet. But hmm. he didn't make it there. He ended up in the hospital, and he died of kidney failure. So his girlfriend got that money because wow. he had he had cashed the check. So she took it out of his pocket while he was in the hospital. Hmm. And, and then your next relationship that you step into was that quick? Was that like a month, two months, a lot? Um, quick. You've been married twice, yeah. and you're just like, do it again, or yeah. <laughs> what's in your brain at that point? Were you um, scared to get married again? Were you? No, because I, I really. Well, I take that back. Just before we got married, I I really kind of wanted to change my mind, but I didn't. But um, he was um, pretty needy, you know, and he was very much childlike, and 
he would be fun and um, would travel and things and but he was never going to be able to provide for himself or anything like that and so I was really taking on kind of a child at the same time and um, so anyway he ha- I didn't know the extent of his uh, mental illness but after we started having problems well he, he would run away from home sometimes I would be at work and then I'd just come home from work and all the clothes would be gone out of the closet and he'd be gone hmm. and then he would because we still had the house in Sheldon he would be at the Sheldon house usually and then he would talk to me on the phone or different things but he wouldn't come home and then he would call one day and ask if he could come home so then he'd come back home we did we did several of those crazy things and then he never would, really had like a specific reason per se of n- why he left or no but i think i know now but at the time no i don't i didn't know he just had these episodes when he just felt like yeah I don't, I don't know. I thought maybe he was suicidal or something, but it was, it's more than that. He, um, would see things and, um, I think he knew it was coming on. I think he got the aura and he would know it was coming on and he thought if he could hide out, no one would know how mentally ill he was, you know? And so I think that was his hiding place. Did you think it was demonic too, or just mental? I... Sometimes they're... It's hard to tell sometimes. Sometimes it's a both. I don't really think so. Okay. I think he was just mentally ill. They called it um, paranoid delusions. So he would be delusional. Like a lot of times he would just get his chest all up and act like he was really tougher than everybody else. And he'd try to pick a fight with people. And it just like out of the blue, like... Hmm. Why do you do that? Why do you act like that? And and I don't think he really knew. He just felt threatened or stupid, maybe. I don't know. Did you have kids at this point or no? no kids are out of the house? Or? My kids were out of the house by then. Eric had come home from college, and he was there for a short time, and then he moved out. Um, How would your kids embrace that? I know that's always hard, being, being a, a divorced kid with mm-hmm. a stepfather have to embrace I think Christy um took it easier than the other two because she's the kind that brings home the lost puppy dogs too so her and I kind of have that same rescuing uh motherly instinct where the other two are more logical Mm -hmm. so different emotions yep so And then um, I had him locked up in the hospital a couple of times because he would take too much of his medication and have to have his stomach pumped or something. And so the last time that happened, he, he was in my house and uh, it was about 2011, I think. Um, he was real crazy. He came to the store. He was all sweaty, and he had a bandana on his face, and he was just uh, threatening my son and pushing on him and stuff, and I had to call the police, and 
they told told me that he wasn't as crazy as a lot of people that seen, so they just let him go and <laughs> I went Thanks for that. Appreciate but that. one of the policemen called me back and he told me to go over to um, Danny's doctor and talk to him and he said if he won't see you um, stand there and throw a scene in the, in there until he gives you the papers to 96 him because he needs to be um, locked up you know so they can reevaluate meds and do all that stuff again so I did that and by the time I got back over and the sheriff came he was gone and he had taken the truck and went to Springfield so they called down there and had him arrested and uh, then they put him in the hospital down there and my girlfriend Joy and I went down and sat in the hospital all night and he was um now then he did look like demonic like he was crazy his eyes were just like um, red and crazy looking and like piercing you know and he would he sat on the floor he didn't have anything on but that little gown and he sat on the floor and he just kept pointing at me like just really weird um and he had told him the story about that he was he was a pilot he told him at the hospital and that he flew all the beauty supplies into my business and I fired him because he flew the plane too close to the building hmm. and so they act like they believed him and that I was a little off myself or whatever wow. but the paperwork was for the wrong county since he had gone up to Springfield so I had to fax that through and get all that changed over and so then the next morning they locked him up in another facility not too far from the hospital and they had me go over there and they told me to try to um, get him angry and get him to say what he had taken if he had taken something and uh, do you ever feel like you're going crazy yeah in life lots of times I mean you're you're married Three times now? I used to say, Two. I feel like I should be in a straight jacket or just take my van and just run it into a brick wall and be gone because wow. it's just too much to take sometimes, you know. Was your was your business successful in, in the midst of this? Was life mm -hmm. from a financial or perspective, was that all fine? Yeah. That, it was just more, It was. you're just married to yeah. this crazy guy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, where was I? He's in, the, he's in the mental hospital. Okay, so they, after they took us in that room when I was supposed to get him angry and it didn't work out, he, he wouldn't say anything. And uh, they told me that he had probably taken uh, a substance, bath salts. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm -mm. Okay. Um, I don't really know anything about it either, except it eats your brain or something. Wow. And so... They said he would probably take drugs until he dies and he'll never be right. And for me to get back to Nevada and get a restraining order so that he doesn't have access to my house, he would then only have to go to the Sheldon house. And so that's where he went and between 2011 and 2013 until he passed away there. So I never saw him again. And did he die, did he die of drugs or, or you didn't know or I, that he passed away? I know he drank a lot. I'm sure he did drugs too. I'm sure he 
substance abuse of some yeah, kind, didn't. most likely. I don't think he wanted to live anymore, and that was the quickest way mm-hmm. to end all that because you know he was tortured and tormented in his own mind and he would have he had things in the house I was in the house afterwards when his son came down and he had the Ten Commandments on the on the mantle the fireplace and he had all kinds of different like all those things were going to protect him but they didn't because he couldn't protect himself from himself you know Hmm. from himself he had Bibles and stuff everywhere but he just couldn't get back. Yeah. His brain was gone. So, anyway, so. Um, so he dies. That's so. That, mm-hmm. That's two. So you've been married three times. Mm-hmm. Two of the husbands are dead. Yes. Two of the three. Yes, sir. Wow, that's crazy. Did you um, now him? Did you get divorced from him ever or no? No. Never officially divorced I, I filed for divorce because his son, Garrett, had hired an attorney. And that attorney kept sending me these letters and telling me that they couldn't get treatment for him unless I would divorce him. Kind of making it sound like financially Danny had to claim that I still made a living or something, even though we weren't living together. And I didn't know if it was true or if it wasn't true. So I did go file... But it hadn't um, gone through. He was already. He died before any of Has that the, went through. Now, are you at the church yet? I know you. I've talked to you personally about how a church. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the church? Sheldon Baptist. Sheldon Baptist Church yes. made a huge impact. Is are they yes. in the picture at this point or no? Yes, because back in probably about 2008, when Danny had run away from home one time, um, we. He asked me to come meet him there, and we would walk down to church together that he had. Um, when did you start going to that church? About 2008. Okay. So we went down there to church, and and I stayed. I mean, I always went. Whenever Sunday? Mm-hmm. Did you go to Wednesday nights or other stuff that they Wednesday had? Wednesday nights, and then Jared started some small groups and we did that and there was a women's group for quite a while that we met usually at the Mexican restaurant in Nevada and so we had women's group there quite a bit and sometimes we'd go to the park or something bring uh, sandwiches or they met at my house a few times and so the your third husband dies in what year 2012 13 13 so that's five years what's the church doing at this point are they there for you you're yes they're praying for you. They're yeah. well, giving you advice. They're how's all that interacting together? I felt like they didn't really ever talk about that part, like because Danny had played in the. Did they know? Did you live a secret life? Did you go to church and not let them know all that stuff, or did they know that stuff? They knew because he, him, and I both went to church. He he played okay. in the on the worship team. Oh wow! Okay, he played the guitar on the worship team until. He, he went crazy, and then he didn't. Hmm. So, um, so it wasn't like you know. Here's Stella. She comes to church. We don't know who her husband is, really. But no, you know, she comes to no, church. Praise the Lord. Jared, Pastor Jared, could see Danny's house from out his kitchen window, so he could see that he was either still moving around or alive or whatever. And he went and tried to talk to him a few times, but he would like 
say crazy stuff like he would say look over there in those bushes you see who's over there in those bushes and like there would be nobody I mean he would just be seeing things and and um, Josh said he'd talked to him a few times and that he would talk to him normal and say how sorry he was for his and then the next thing you know he would just be crazy and saying things that making up things that didn't happen and stuff so he just he just couldn't keep it together yeah so. when does christianity begin to like really click for you i mean again i'm i'm kind of having a little fun here you seem like a normal christian mm-hmm. i mean maybe maybe you're like psychotic on the side and i don't know about it but mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying at, at least people who are biblically functioning followers mm-hmm. of christ you know right they and it seems like you're the things that are going on in your life seem a little bit opposed to what would be considered a normal Christian lifestyle, right? I know. Is that fair? Yeah. Right. For some people, we'd say, you know, you, you got a husband and a wife, and we're serving the Lord, and blah blah blah. But a lot of that's not happening in your personal life. It, does that? When does it begin to click? Like your Christianity. I mean, as far as you're like, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to abandon it this to time. Get bad guys, I'm you know I'm going to I'm going to walk the walk. I'm going right. to talk the talk. Right. When does that begin to happen? Well, I think the my big not, and not saying that you weren't a Christian, you know what I'm saying? Cuz that's sometimes we're like, "Oh, you were married to a, a a bad guy. That means you must not have been a very good Christian." I'm not saying that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it seems like there's a lot of relationships and things happening in your life that are really dysfunctional mm-hmm. from living a really sold out life for Christ. Because you keep saying, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What makes me a magnet for these crazy people? Yeah. That's it's what you're asking like, yourself. Yeah. Questioning yourself. It's yep. just like a magnet. They just come and stick on you and you can't get it off. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. Maybe... I had to learn hard lessons the hard way <laughs> yeah. to make it um, stick. I don't know. Um, I think I, I I just came up with this phrase a little while back, and I really believe it, that everyone used to say, or a lot of people would say, your past doesn't define you. Have you heard that phrase before? Yes. And I was thinking about that one day, and I said, you know what? I don't, I don't believe in that anymore. I think your past does define yes. you, and it defines... Here's what I said. It defines how God wants to use you in the future. Mm-hmm. So all of our experiences, for some of us that are very bad or negative, I have those things that I did um, relationally with people, etc., that were not godly, that were not God honoring. You know, that uh, not this perfect Christian person. And now I can say, well, that's not that doesn't define me anymore. But now I can say, you know what? Actually, that does define me, and it defines how God now wants to use me into the, the hearts and lives of other people. Because mm-hmm. I've discovered and noticed that a lot of who I was before Christ, I now have the ability to reach those type of people. My story, mm-hmm. who I am, connects with those people. And now God uses me to minister to those people. Seems almost more mm-hmm. strongly than other people. Right. And I don't have a problem talking to people one-on-one. It's the group thing that's harder for me you know I I have had lots of employees that have had rough lives you know and that's part of it you know sharing with them and letting them know they you know don't it doesn't have to be that way you don't have to stay that way you know and for some of them they've gone on one girl was in high school and she went on to college and you know and she's 
raising kids and things and they move on with their life and they come back and see me sometimes and and then eventually they kind of just like drift away and then you start over with someone else and mm-hmm. so husband number three is now gone mm-hmm. where's life at now um it's 2013 yeah. something like that 2013 okay so that was just like the hardest year of my life and the hardest year of your life really breaks you down but at the same time it's this weird way that it builds you up too like I broke my knee in January and I was in Las Vegas and my son had to push me around in a wheelchair and um I we I laid in the hallway at the hospital overnight and when they finally looked at me and they said, well, it doesn't matter if you do surgery here or when you get home, but you're going to have to have your knee put back together. So I thought, well, with that attitude, I wasn't going to have it done there. So I had to fly back home. <laughs> you broke it at Vegas? Yeah. I had to, Like dancing at a club? Or? No, I just was, we were going down the Cheesecake Factory and they were walking faster in front of me and I wore bifocals. So the light kind of plays funny on your classes and I was trying to keep up with them and I stepped off the curb and <laughs> fell right on my knee and I heard oh, it crunch goodness. and I was laying in the street waving my purse <laughs> so that someone wouldn't run over me <laughs> it was awful wow. and uh, they picked me up by my shirt and my pant leg and tried to get me over to the side and the ambulance guy he didn't believe it was broken so he kept shaking my leg around and anyway but it was kind like, of a yeah, nightmare that hurts it, it hurts like, yep that's just the way my life goes, <laughs> don't it? <laughs> and so, anyway, so I had that, and then I got back home, and my dog was not doing well, and I took him to Kansas City, and he had lung cancer, and I had to have him put down, and we buried him in the backyard, and and then Jared's daughter Hannah got killed in a car accident wow. in March, so called me and told me that Hannah was killed and, and the weird thing about that was I had been praying for Jared for two years. My I just like I would wake up in the night and I would say, Well, who am I supposed to be praying for, Lord? And it would always be Jared. Hmm. Sometimes it would be Josh too. And their family, but for like for two years, about four o'clock every morning, and that was that's when I thought it was because he needed to be strong. I kept praying for him to have strength, strength and wisdom, strength, strength and wisdom, and so he had to bury his little girl, Mm. and um. So I started doing funeral dinners. So when there was a funeral, they would call me, and I would always cook something. At the church? Take off work, and and we would do funeral dinners at, at the church. And there was, like, so many funerals that year. It was, it just seemed like we were having one every three or four weeks. And so I did a lot of that, and... um. I was still in my leg brace and everything. 
So it was pretty hard, but I was determined I was going to do it. So oh. I did. And uh, uh, then Jared started a small, small group. And uh, we had maybe eight people at the most that ever came. But then it got down to just like four of us, three or four of us. And we would be the faithful ones that would come. You Church, know, small and, group. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he um, had this book about the circle prayer you know that guy mm-hmm. that yep. walked around that city and prayed for that yeah. until he got that the property circle maker. yes mm-hmm. by and, mark batterson yeah and they had the video and and stuff we'd play the video and then we'd you know study a little bit about it and then we'd um he that's when jared started prayer um, that's the pastor right mm-hmm. okay yes they started he started a Tuesday morning prayer, like at, I think it was at five o'clock in the morning, five or six, he would open the church up early and then you could go there and pray before you went to work. And so I would drive down there, did it once a month, I think the first Tuesday of the month. And I'd drive down there and go do that. And sometimes I'd walk outside and pray, (laughs) pray, sorry, pray around the church. And sometimes I would go just from room to room to room for the Sunday school rooms. I mean, we all just prayed wherever we felt like it and wherever we wanted to. And mm-hmm. then we didn't really hardly speak to each other or anything. Everybody was in their own zone. And then you just get in your car and go to work. And um, so I did and that. That was a, a meaningful lot. time? Yes. You yes. felt like you grew closer to God. God <laughs> was speaking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think I should get up early and go go back up there but yeah. it's a little far, <laughs> a little farther drive you have to get up a little earlier uh-huh. it's a little ways to go but um but yeah that was you can just pray those in your house were the get up early pray worst of times <laughs> yes i can in my house it's funny you know you, it's funny you bring that up though i noticed that in our stories we often connect spiritual moments to physical places mm-hmm. so sometimes we think oh if i that was so meaningful in that time if i mm-hmm. would just go back to that and do that it doesn't always mean that, doesn't we? Don't always have to duplicate those moments. Sometimes With, God takes us to new. I'm not picking on that, you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. sometimes we had, to, and, and it's a good thing. We, it, it's mm-hmm. altar moments. Mm-hmm. It's all that was an altar moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and Camp Kersey was the same way for me because I started going to Camp Kersey as a camp counselor 2011 because I was a free woman basically because, you know, Danny wasn't living at home anymore, and so I went as a camp counselor to Camp Kersey and. The greatest times of that was in the mornings when we'd get up, we'd go to the flagpole, you know, and and they'd play those little games and sing those little songs around the flagpole, and then we'd eat breakfast and then clean up, and then we had quiet time, and everybody had to get their Bible and whatever they were studying and take a blanket and go somewhere out on the property, and they couldn't set together because there was no chattering, no talking with each other you got your own picked your own quiet place you might go down around the lake or you might go up by the pool or or by the tennis court or wherever take their blanket and their book and then they were supposed to study time until time for chapel and those were really great times for me too you know I thought well I'm probably getting more out of it than the kids are I'd go up the picnic table up by the pool and that would be my place and I would just write things about my life and look it up in the bible answers you know mm-hmm. so this is a time and which way should i go and what should yeah. i do next 
So you're in a small group, you're praying at church, you're mm-hmm. helping out in camps, you feel like God's starting to restore, renew you? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then in VBS, I would do um, crafts class. We had the classes in VBS were like 20 minutes apiece. We would mm-hmm. have the kids come in and have serve them dinner because some kids didn't get dinner after school. So they'd come in after school and have dinner, and then they'd start going to classes. And then every 20 minutes, they trade a class. They might go to a, a um, Bible story class, and they might go uh, to dance or acting out, um, like a drama class. Or then they go outside and play in the yard and uh, the water hose and just different things. And each group would teach them a different lesson with whatever activity they were doing. And they would come to craft class and would make you know, mm-hmm. little cross keychains or uh, picture frames and stuff like that. So let's try not, not to rush you, but to fast <laughs> forward here, where, how, how do you get to where you're at today? From there to your next husband, where, do, where does that happen? That happens a while later. Okay. My let's dad, fast forward. Let's whip through it. We can talk about my dad having Alzheimer's. You can. Passed yeah. away. Let's do it. Okay, so my dad had Alzheimer's, and he, um, well, before he had Alzheimer's, he started talking about his life to my kids, and um, that's when I learned a lot about him that I didn't know either, you know, about the blind school and the things he'd gone through and that he was um, going. From him? Is this the stuff he's telling you? Yes. And then that he was going to college to become a preacher. I didn't. I don't remember ever knowing that. Um, just things that he told my kids that I wish he would have told us. Did you, and did you find yourself drawing closer or farther away? Closer. Closer to him. Because then you could understand why he was so mm-hmm. overboard disciplinary when we were growing up. Yeah. We are the way we are for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we forget that. And I'm talking about as a, not just a pastor, but as someone who minist- who is a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. attempting to minister to other people. We encounter a lot of different people in our lives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are certain. Sometimes we meet someone who is very opposed or not doesn't gel quite with who we are as an individual or as a person. And that can frustrate us. It can get us anger. But we have to remember there's a story behind that person. Yeah. We really have to use wisdom from the Holy Spirit to be like, you know, this person, they could be this way, abused. They, they could be abusive because they were abused. They, right. they could be hurting people because they were hurt or mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And I don't think my dad wasn't abused in his own home. I don't think he was probably spoiled, rotten there, and it made him a little bit selfish. But um, at the blind school, I think they got away with a lot of things there when they discipline the kids that um nowadays if they that would have found out those people would have probably been in prison for how they treated the kids you know <laughs> that was a different time it's a different day different time right, for sure right yeah when my dad was up there at Barone Alzheimer's so I would go feed him in the morning and I'd feed him at lunchtime and then at supper time and, and then I'd go back at night and if he was asleep, I 
God reading the Psalms or I'll pray for him. If he was awake, we would walk around the nurse's station and he would hold my hand and he would fill my ring and he'd go, that's pretty. That's really pretty. I can tell that's a pretty <laughs> ring you got on. And he, he was, he was really funny. Um, uh, were you married then, or? Uh, when he first, yeah, when he first went in there, I mm-hmm. was. To the husband, your third husband. Yes. Yeah, okay. Got Danny. It. The, yep. Um. And then my dad got moved to. Choplin Web City and then over here to Carthage and my mom rents a house at um, it's a duplex so she sees Pastor Perkins sometimes praise God I think we love Pastor Perkins I think he's her landlord (laughs) (laughs) oh that's right he is yeah he is so yeah that's all good you know small world in it it is <laughs> yeah but when my um dad passed away the sheldon turt um called up my mom's church and they all put it put a meal together for us so that's probably why I did all those funeral dinners. Yeah, and that's meaningful. You Comes know, we, back around. We forget how, um, when we're walking through those phases of life, how fragile we are and people are, and how much that means to people to reach out and extend that simple act of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, as I know, as a pastor, we're so busy trying to build the build the church, you know, and we yeah. forget we're just all a bunch of people that yeah. need love. And you know. During that time, uh, between 2011 and 2015 or so, I went to a bunch of Joyce Myers conferences, and I um, I went to the Ashes and Beauty, Ashes to Beauty Women's Camp up in Lebanon. Um, I think that's Assembly of God Church up there, where we go meet where some of the people got baptized at. But um, a lot of them from Sheldon Baptist um, go up there and they teach and share and different things. And so I went to some of those and that was really uh, kind of challenging because I went there as a single person, you know, as a newly widowed person when I first started going up there. And then they send you to a singles class Mm -hmm. and then you have to do all these things like you're supposed to write this letter to your new husband that you're going to have someday and if (laughs) or you write it to jesus because he is your husband right now you know and then you make this list of what you're going to um what what you you won't settle for anything less than what's on this list. And so I made this really long list that no one could live up to. <laughs> Every woman does that, don't they? I no. did. I don't know. I don't think they do. I never <laughs> did don't? that before. Oh, okay. I just thought, well, you, know, you get what you get because 
you know, you're a loser. That's what I thought before. <laughs> so I wasn't going to be that anymore. So I made me a list of, it was pretty tough. And then I started suffering from adrenal fatigue and, um, I got where I couldn't even hardly work and my girlfriend had to bring me to work and she would come and help me get ready. I couldn't really get dressed by myself hardly and I, I couldn't load the dishwasher, I couldn't pump gas in my car, I couldn't remember how to do the basic task and so we'd take long lunch hours and she would write notes in her little notebook of things I would say while we were eating and then she'd We'd get back to work and should say, now you said you needed to get this done and you need to hmm. get this done. And then I, so I could get through my day and she really covered for me a lot mm-hmm. until I went to Dr. Thornton and um, he did some blood tests and started me on some adrenal medicine and some thyroid medicine and now I feel pretty healthy. I still don't metabolize my vitamins right and stuff, so I have to still have to take them but anyway that's what I did I went to church I went to the nursing home I went to work that's pretty much all I did I went to every small group there was I went to one that was a relationship group but it was really for married people supposedly but they didn't want to leave me out so Mm -hmm. I could come and then talk about how I could um, be a better friend to friends and family. And so you thought so. you're going to get married again then, though? Or mm, yes or no? I didn't think so. You wrote the letters, made the list, or yeah, I made the list, but because <laughs> no one could live up to it, so I wasn't really too worried. And oh, then, okay. so what I was really focusing on was. <laughs> When I die, where am I going to get buried? I would talk to my son about that all the time, and I think it probably was upsetting for him, but I see him the most because he works in a desk over here, and I work in a desk over here, so we're kind of side by side, and I talk to him about that. I think I need to figure out where I'm going to be buried. Do I want to be in Nevada? Do I want to be in Sheldon, close to the Sheldon Church? Do I want to go back home to Carthage? What do I want to do? And um, how old were you when you were thinking those thoughts? Fifties? Mm. Sixty. About fifty-nine, sixty. Okay. Yep. And then we had a class reunion in Carthage. And um, I've never been to a class reunion before. You haven't. No. Nope. You. <laughs> Mine are all just beer parties out in the cornfield. So. Oh yeah. There's really no reason to go. Well, I. Think Ours used to be, and I didn't use. I didn't used to go to them after people started getting more mature, and they, you know, I ha- we have some classmates that have okay. have lost their, you know, had some children die, and it, when you after your parents, you know, get sick, and people's reality of life is completely different as they yeah. get a little older. And there you go. I just got to wait a few more, right? Responsible. I yeah, <laughs> I think we had a partying class before that. I don't know. I went to some of them, but I didn't stay very long because some of the times they were drinking and stuff. But anyway. This class reunion was at the Burger Barn, though, wasn't it? Or no? It was on the, the square. The square, yep. 
mm-hmm. at uh, Cherries. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think I've been there before, right? They serve burgers from 11 to 3 every day. Do they? <laughs> yeah. They're good, too. I know. They serve a good burger. Slap an egg on it, you're good to go. Yeah. Anyway, I, went, I invited Janice to go. She didn't really graduate with our class, but I invited her to go. And so she came with her boyfriend. Um, and I went to meet my cousin Karen and my cousin Donna there, and I sat with them most of the time. And uh, Jimmy Chittenden got up and sang, and he had not done that for a long time. He was suffering from pancreatic cancer, and he passed away not too long after that. Was but he a classmate, a singer, or what? Yes, he was a classmate. Branson performer? Classmate. Okay. Um, yeah, he was a really good guy. Um, and after the class reunion, I started sending out some friend requests to some of the different classmates. And I sent one to somebody named Rick Maynard. Ricky Bobby Maynard? <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> that was him, Ricky Bobby. Okay, so on July 1st, I went up to Harrisonville and met my daughter Carrie. And then we went up to Christie's house. And we spent the day together, just us girls. And um, on my way back... Uh, after I picked my car up and I was passing Butler, I got a call from Karen Lou, my cousin. And she said that Rick Maynard had called her and he was wanting to know if I was seeing anyone. And she said, well, I told him I don't know. I haven't asked her that myself, <laughs> so maybe I'll call her and find out. So she called me and I said, no, I'm not seeing anybody. I wasn't really interested in seeing anybody. And she goes, well, now, he's a nice guy. And, you know, life is short. You, of all people, know that. And maybe you should give this a chance. And if nothing else, you can make another friend. He's a widow. You're a widow. So, you know, or just something at least you can talk about that you have in common. And he doesn't like to, he doesn't drink, and he likes to go to church and stuff. So you got that in common. And. So she was trying to sell sell me on the idea of going on a date. Does it take a long time to embrace the reality of being a widow? Yeah, it's kind of weird. You have to kind of get to a spot of like, well, it is what it is or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there ever, is there, is it just a process or is it moment? Was it a moment? Because you got married again. So was was there a moment you're like, okay, I'm moving on? Yeah, but that or was... Or is it more of a process? Did you have a, a moment where you're like, okay, I'm a widow? I had or, four you know, I'm years of moments. Yeah. Four years. So, um, yeah, at some time in, you realize they're never coming home. You know, you just... Um, And you don't have to worry about what they think. So you start a new relationship. Yeah. Shortly after that. Mm-hmm. Do you date? What do you do? What do you do when you're a widow? And you're, you call that dating? Like, how does that work? What's the terminology you guys use nowadays? You widows would, that are dating. and I would call it a date. Yeah. I told Pastor Jared... 
Like, this is my boyfriend. This is my... I told him my... Is it still the cheesy love where it's like, oh, mm. yeah, we're just friends? No, I don't know. <laughs> like, no, you guys are actually dating, actually. We yeah. know that you're going out with each other. I told Pastor Jared I was going, I was going to go on a date and I said I don't know if he's coming here or if I'm supposed to go meet him somewhere but I know I'm going in my own car wherever <laughs> nobody's picking me up I'll be in my own car if I if I think that's it I, I'm out of there I'm getting <laughs> in my car and I'm leaving or whatever I've got to keep my safety net you know and so um we talked we talked on the phone you talked before you had the first official date? Yeah, he called me. I must have been in the shower because it was right after that same night that Karen Lou called me. And she gave Rick my phone number. And then um, either I was in the shower or I was already asleep when he called because I got up the next morning and there was a voicemail on there. So I called him back and it was like 6.30 in the morning. I was getting ready for church and then I talked on the phone so long that I was late to church. And uh, so I had to tell Pastor Jared I was going to go on a date. You know? So um, Rick came up to Nevada, did the Mexican restaurant, and we sat in there and talked. And he he talked a lot. like Rick talks a lot mm -hmm. and and then he was telling me about his bedroom was Andy Griffith and Barney Fife and I just started laughing I couldn't stop laughing I guess I thought he was kidding me uh-huh <laughs> but he's not yeah. you've been there you've seen it <laughs> Did he, was he like desperate old guy or what was he? What, no. What was the vibe? He was like, <laughs> like telling me his whole life story or something so that I wouldn't, <laughs> like I, like I needed to know everything on the table right now, okay. immediately. Like, I don't know, like, well, he wanted nothing hidden you know, and I appreciated that, but it was like, I can't process that much stuff all at once. <laughs> so anyway, I got a little bit hysterical. Um, but then he asked me about me, and I don't know that he wanted to know all that, but mm -hmm. we spent, I don't know, two and a half hours, I think. Was there fear there? Were you, the were you afraid to share who you were? No, you know what? I just thought, you know what? I had already decided before I went that um, if they can't handle it, then, you know, that it's not worth it because I'm not going to waste my time on something that uh, somebody's going to judge me. You know, I'm used to that, people judging mm -hmm. me and looking down at me and... Um, feeling sorry for me or whatever all that is and um, that's not what I want I just want somebody to accept me for who I am and yeah bad things happened to me and maybe they were my fault I don't know maybe um, 
that's just the life I was supposed to live, or maybe I just took the wrong trail and I w- and God had a completely different life for me and I just missed it. I don't know, <laughs> but the fact was, it is what it is. And if you, you know, if you can't accept that, then there's no point in even talking. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. So after the first date then he went to Indiana to see his boys. And I text him. I don't remember if I called or not, but I text him a few times and I told him he should put some music on or something and he said that's what he's doing because he was, you know, you know how you get sleepy driving. And um and he called me like July the 22nd and asked me to meet him at his house and go with him to Joplin for dinner. And I told my kids, I sent my kids texts, I sent Pastor Jared texts, I sent Lisa texts, I sent everybody texts where I was going in case they found my body laying out on some road somewhere. They would know <laughs> where about the vicinity of where I might be killed if he was really a serial killer or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we went to Joplin and it was fine. Um, he wasn't. So, and then he called me another time and asked him to go to Branson and I thought, nobody goes to Branson for the day. They spend the night if they go to Branson. So I thought, I don't know about that. That don't sound like a good idea. But then he said we were gonna go see the Moses that Moses production uh, for the day and then come back. So I agreed to do that. And and then he came up to Buzz's Barbecue July the 31st and we stayed there until they closed the restaurant down. They were mopping the floors. I think they wanted us mm-hmm. to get out. So, and that's when he told me that um, if we couldn't figure out the distance and all that stuff, and we couldn't figure out how that was all going to work into our life with me working up there and him working down here and all that, then we should just <laughs> stop now and not pursue this. Um, did you had you said I love you yet or anything or no? No. I like you. No. I just told him I thought that would really hurt if that's you know. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> no, if he didn't, if he didn't want to talk to me any more than. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know what to think about that. And so. We decided we could figure out the distance. So then on August the 1st, I asked him to meet us at Sirloin Stockade because my cousin Lorraine was in town and my mom and my sister would be there. And I thought, well, now he can see how my family is Mm -hmm. part of them, you know, meet them. And of course, he would be the only guy. There'd just be us girls. And so he actually did do that. And then the next day he called me and said we should go steady. 
you did. that word, specific words, go steady? Yes, he said, Whoa. we should go steady. Oh, he sent me a text, actually, that said that. We should go steady. And then I went to Texas for a sales meeting. And then um, after women's group, the next week I came down to his house and we had grilled cheese sandwiches in his house. And then... we do next I think the next day I invited him to my house I don't invite people to my house I never invite people to my house and so I thought since he is like a house guy you know then if he sees my house and he decides he doesn't like me because I live in a cruddy house then <laughs> he better make that judgment too you know just get it yeah. all out on the table <laughs> So he came there and he said my house wasn't that bad. So I guess that was okay. You but, know, d d by the way, did you know what ghost steady means? It means to have a regular romantic relationship. Oh, wow. Well, you were already deep <laughs> quick. That was, well. That's what he was saying. Mm-hmm. So then on, <laughs> on Wednesday, August the 9th, I went to Rick's church instead of going to Sheldon. Um, because Jared wasn't going to preach that night. So, and when we got there, guess what? They showed a Robert Moore's video. Who is that? I don't know who that is. You know, Pastor Robert Morris, I sent you a, a link in Messenger. Oh, okay. It's not, not the light bulb's not coming bell. on. Sorry. You know. <laughs> He's like preacher or what? Yes. TV guy? Yes, we watch oh, okay. him. We watch him in the morning sometimes. Oh, okay. Yep. Sorry. He I'll do was, my research. He was doing this video about um like he was kind of acting like he was the disciples whenever Jesus told him to go get fish and bread and to <laughs> and they were like, "Where are we going to get fish?" <laughs> oh, see, oh, he's in Texas? Like, yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. good, good. And then on Friday, August 11th, he asked me to marry him. And then September 17th, we got married. So. Did you have a lot of questions? Did you, was it like, you're going to do this or fears? No. Scared? No. Did this feel like a God thing? Yes, very much. Was that the first, first time you ever felt that before? Yes. Did it feel radically different from your other relationships? Yes, sir. As far as like this now feels like this would honor the Lord or please the mm -hmm. Lord or. And where I should be. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we spend in prayer, especially when you're lost or you don't know very much, you're telling God what you want and you tell him, um, it's like you're just basically trying to order him around instead right, right. of... That's a great point. Instead of... <laughs> Submitting um, to his will? Yeah. Instead of trying to seek what does he want me to have. Instead, we're all about like, I want this and I want that. You know, I want, I wanted a family. I wanted kids. I, you know, that's all I ever wanted from the time I was a little bitty girl. I wanted to grow up and have kids. And so... What did I do? 
I had kids, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a good husband. I never thought yeah. about that part. I never mm-hmm. thought about having a good husband. I thought, well, it didn't matter. They're just going to be the, you know, the dad or whatever. And it's probably a reason he told us this is then how you should pray. Mm-hmm. Not my will, but yours be done. It's true. There's a reason he said, he it's taught true. us to pray like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And girls should make goals and they should make those lists of what kind of a husband they want because if they don't they just fall for anything you know and if you've been molested when you're young like you don't even know where to start all you want to do is survive and that's what i did most of my life i just survived i just it's like Mm -hmm. i just felt like i just barely squeaked by or i'm just flying under the radar you know or yeah um I've said before, having been a youth pastor, I believe the dumbest people on the planet are high school girls or young women Probably <laughs> in some ways. I mean, you know, I'm having fun with that, but because there's a real, um, can be gullible or, I mean, you can have a girl very. who's very smart, intelligent, all these areas, but they can succumb to this guy that's a total loser, right? Mm-hmm. And ruin their whole life. Mm-hmm. They have smarts, they have intelligence, and there's this way that God designed women that they're susceptible in that area, just mm-hmm. like men are susceptible. There, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's some areas we're very susceptible in just by the design of God. And same thing with women. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like that. Definitely, in that critical young age as a woman, you got to be careful. Right. We don't know how though, because you're so emotional. Yep. That you need somebody that will give you good guidance and. Yeah. And when that's not there, you ask the wrong people. You ask the kids on the bus. You know, that's what I did. I asked the kids on the school bus. Well, I didn't get any good <laughs> answers there. Right. You know, so. You got married? So are we on the married part yet? Or you're not married yet? He asked you to marry him. Marry. Yeah. He asked you to marry him. Yes. And. We got married in September, 17 of 17. How would you describe your life now compared to 30, 40 years ago? What's the difference? It's completely different. Um, I'm not, I don't have to just survive and I don't have to fight for every little thing and I don't have to justify myself or um, make excuses for other people's behavior. I don't have to do any of that stuff that I always had to do. Rick is Rick and Stella is Stella Mm -hmm. and both of them are okay. Yeah and it might not be have a specific answer to this question but I, I told someone this the other night I said, what, tell me about some of the God urges that you have in your life now that you can't not, there's things that you now cannot not do. Uh, For example, my wife is, she's got her no price tag speaking into the lives Mm -hmm. of young girls. Mm -hmm. That's this passion, this anthem that flows out of her life. Do you feel like you have, have, or have developed that, cultivated that? What are some, some of the anthems or the life messages that now just naturally flow out of you that you want to share with other people? Message is like what I think I need to say to people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Is that what you yeah. mean? Yep. Well, 
people. I liked I like to talk to girls that are open to that, that not to settle. I have someone in my life right now that's getting ready to settle for somebody that she probably shouldn't, and she's probably going to have a really tough time if she goes through with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't had the opportunity to really talk to her. But um, that's in my plan. Because if I don't, I'm going to feel guilty because I I could have said something. But I don't want to come off either like I'm telling her what to do because yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, in her heart she cares for this person. But everything says he's about himself, you know. Hmm. And I've been there, had that, and it's not the best way to go. I tell people all the time, I'm sure I've said it here in Grace Point at Carthage, that I literally, literally have um, met women that are now 50, 60 years old that made those poor choices in terms of relationships Mm -hmm. as young women. And now that they're at this point in life, this juncture, uh, at an altar crying because, you know, you can't go Mm -hmm. back as much as we're redeemed Mm -hmm. and we're saved, we're set free. We're not under the judgment of God, but we can't, we can't go back and wipe away all that stuff either. No, it's there. You know, it's not, it is, it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. My history, my past before Jesus, it's there. It's never going to go away. And so how much, you know, God gives us a sense of urgency to speak into the lives of children, Mm -hmm. teenage girls, young people. Mm -hmm. I know we can't control their choices. I know that we can't make them do these things, but to be a voice that comes into their life, Mm -hmm. to try to give them direction, to give them guidance so they don't have to come to the middle end of their life regretting everything that they did. Mm -hmm. And it's not for you. Like you don't regret your kids. You don't regret your grandkids. You don't, there's things you don't regret those things, but you do say, man, I do wish I could have done these things differently. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I could have learned quick too, but I was just, well, I never thought I deserved better. So mm-hmm. I never really looked for better because I thought that was not, it was like I put these blinders on and you can only have this down the middle. You can't have this or you can't have that. That's for all the good people or the rich people or the smart people or the, you know, mm-hmm. the other people, not for you. And um, I just, I put myself in a box that I couldn't, get myself back out of and you know really only God could open that box and let me out so yeah uh, because you forgive other people a lot of times but you don't forgive yourself that's the hardest thing and I know there's a young lady that has a baby that's not married that I hope she knows that she's she's still precious you know and um that she doesn't settle for something lesser on down the road. Amen. Is that the story? Is that the end? It's not the end of the story, but... It's not the end of the story. (laughs) It's just the beginning now. (laughs) I just haven't lived the rest of it yet. Right. So I go to Nevada to work, and then I come back home to Carthage, so...
It seems like a long day waiting to get back home sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it's working out. Praise God, that's a great story. Is there anything else you want to add to it? There's one thing. I think fathers should make sure that their daughters know that they're loved and that they're okay, even if something bad happened to them. That they're not junk. Because that's the first thing. Well, I don't know about boys because I'm not a boy, but maybe boys feel the same way. That if something happens to them, maybe they think they're junk too and they're no good. But I think parents really, it's really important for them to let their kids know that they love them and that um, they don't hold things against them. Sometimes my my dad would disown us, you know, and that's really the only way he knew how. Instead of talking it out, we didn't talk things out. You just were not allowed kind of in the family until he got over being mad and then you could come back in and that's uh, very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So, and it creates uh, dysfunction. So, if you don't want a dysfunctional life, don't repeat that. Yeah. Don't do it again, you know. Well, God is good. God is good, and it's amazing how he weaves himself in and out of our story. And I love to hearing stories, and whether mine or someone else's, how we can look back in hindsight. Even though we didn't understand it in the midst of that, we can now see, like, you know what? Mm-hmm. There were hard times, brokenness. But still, God was extending. He was reaching out. He was setting the stage. He was preparing. He was doing a work. I couldn't see it, but he was there. And now that I am here, where he always wanted me to be, I can appreciate it even more. And now I have to grab hold of him even in a greater way than ever before. And now I have to extend that story out to other people. Because there are broken people. We think some of our stories of how our, our brokenness or our stories... And I tell you what, there's people with an even more difficult story mm-hmm. than yours. There's oh, yeah. ladies out there that are even more broken, that are even mm-hmm. more hurting, that are in need of a message of love, hope, grace, mercy, healing that I believe only comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come in any other way. Right. It doesn't come through a program. Programs are good. It doesn't It comes through Jesus. He is the healer. He's the restorer. He's the giver of life, purpose, and direction. We hope that you've been encouraged by this story. Uh, what's your story? We all got one. We're all, we're all just broken people trying to live for Jesus, trying to extend the love of Jesus to other people. I hope that this encouraged you, challenged you, that you'll share it and um, let it encourage someone else. So thanks for listening in. We will talk to you next time.